0: I'm Lindsay, a medical speech pathologist with a love of dogs, sarcasm, and holiday pay. The medical field can be intense, so to try and combat the exhaustion and add a sprinkle of humor, I created this podcast. Join me each week where I interview a different guest that works in some capacity of healthcare. They will share their personal stories, ups and downs, and moments that will truly leave you speechless. All right. On this week's episode, we have Dr. Joe Sherman. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So, um, just give us kind of a little bit of background on you and kind of your journey in healthcare and kind of where you're at now.
1: Sure. Um, let's see. I was born. No, I. Um, <laughs> I uh, am a general pediatrician. And I'm from the East Coast, originally from uh, Washington, D.C. And um, have been uh, practicing general pediatrics for close to 35 years or so in various settings. Most uh, started off in uh, D.C. working in community pediatrics, mostly training uh, residents, medical students in the community. And that was really that's been my I guess my shtick mostly most of my career and then also international health uh, I've lived and worked in Uganda and Bolivia for extended periods of time and then various other Latin American countries um, and then I've lived in Seattle for about got off and on for 20 years but right now I am primarily a coach for uh, physicians and other healthcare providers in the area of well-being and career discernment, primarily, as well as a facilitator for retreats for healthcare uh, professionals. Yeah, that's what I do.
0: That is, I feel like there's never been a more relevant time (laughs) for that. These last few years, I feel like, have pushed everyone to that, that last kind of breaking point. So that's really kind of a cool transition, what kind of led you to kind of that transition or kind of moving that that way to the coaching side of things?
1: I think, well, it's a combination of things. One was that I kind of crashed and burned at one point in my life. Well, at a few points, but one primarily uh, uh, after returning from living in Bolivia with my family. Uh, We were there for four years, my wife and myself and two little kids, and just thrived. I thought the whole family thrived. I thrived uh, professionally, personally, everything. and really enjoyed kind of being in community and doing a variety of different activities. And I returned to the US and got a job that I thought, fit what I have had done before in the US, which was working in a pediatric clinic and teaching residents with a patient population that I really enjoyed working with, which was mostly inner city immigrants, primarily immigrant population. Uh, But things just didn't work out for me. It just seemed like I was kind of sinking, going downhill. And a lot of it, I think, was I was trying to solve the problems of the whole institution Mm-hmm. Myself and everything that was wrong with healthcare, I was going to take it on and conquer it. And uh, I went down with the ship. And so, after that, I really had this kind of awakening that I just—what is it that I really love doing? And I, you know, what what was a setting? What is it? And I discovered it wasn't so much the what; it was the who. Who am I? And what is it that really? makes me come alive and brings me life makes me excited and it had a lot to do with going back and looking at my experiences and saying geez you know i think maybe i took a wrong turn somewhere but maybe not i don't know but i really love teaching counseling mentoring Uh, coaching, like athletic coaching, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I tried as long as all of those elements were part of being a doctor, I thrived. And when they weren't, then I didn't. And that I just thought that this was amazing that I was able to work with people individually and in groups to come to this realization. And I wanted to do the same for other people.
0: Yeah, that's, that's incredible. It's heavy when you speak to you know all the problematic things that pop up in healthcare, and wanting to try to tackle that um, because I think that's just kind of an ongoing struggle you know you can't help but notice the flaws the more you're entrenched in it and it, it it can definitely just wear on you you know you show up every day and you're trying to do the best you can with what you have but like you're just one person in one healthcare system. It's so much bigger than you. And I feel like, you know, it becomes more and more transparent, the longer you're there. And it's hard not to just be absolutely discouraged. But it's like, obviously, the big picture, we still need amazing healthcare workers to do what typically drives them that direction to pick that career anyways, which is help people. <laughs> you know, yeah. no matter how broken the system is, we we need those people. So, that's you have such an interesting kind of journey and background. Um I think the the like international healthcare experiences you've had too is just incredibly interesting. We've never had anyone on the podcast that's had that type of experience as well. So I'm really excited just to hear about your experiences and your stories, um, because it is really different than, you know, anything else that we've been able to hear. So, um, go ahead and kick us off with kind of the first story that you want to share with us and we'll go from there.
1: All right. I guess since you're talking about international health, I'll tell a story about, uh, just how I first got involved with it Um, when I was in residency a pediatric residency was in Richmond Virginia and uh, you know it's three years of living in the hospital this was in the 80s and um, really that's what we did we were on call just about every third night or every fourth night Uh, and I had I, I had a friend that was working as a volunteer in Belize And uh, at that point in time, Belize, I didn't know what it was, you know, (laughs) where's Belize? It was like, oh, British Honduras, it's called. So uh, she worked there as a teacher, as a volunteer for a year. And she said, you know, there's a clinic down here. And I think you would really enjoy working here, just the people and, and the kind of person you are, kind of like, you know, wanting to be out in the community and everything. So I arranged an elective for a month to work on, in a little clinic on the border of Guatemala and Belize. And this, you know, Belize is it is supposedly the official language of English, but depending on where you are for such a tiny country, it, most of the people speak Spanish, and then somewhere on the coast, they speak a lot of kind of Creole, and then, and then there's a lot of indigenous languages that are spoken. Anyway, with my high school Spanish, two years of high school Spanish, (laughs) like I left, I just remember this so well. I had arranged for the elective. I had no idea. I don't think I had ever been out of the country. I was 28 years old. I would never been out of the U.S. Um, And so I got on a plane. Like I I remember like leaving the emergency room, going home, packing, running to the airport, getting on a plane. And eventually, you know, after a layover in Miami, landing in Belize, and, you know, this person picked me up, this kind of like short, uh, Indigenous uh, 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 resident of uh, of this tiny town, Bank ABA del Carmen in the uh, western border of Belize, picked me up in a pickup truck. We drove <laughs> across the country, which took three hours from one end of the country to the other and like three words were spoken the three <laughs> words that I knew in Spanish probably <laughs> and then we ended up and you know I ended up in this little town and you know in the beginning like oh my god what the hell did I get myself into it's crazy <laughs> yes. but I just like wow I'm the only pediatrician not only in this tiny town but I'm the only pediatrician I think in the country yeah. I mean it's crazy and so I got to know the people in this town I got to you know, go on hikes and look in, in Mayan ruin monuments and all these wild things, along with delivering health care and, and picking up more Spanish. and um, I just loved it. I thought it was just amazing. And then I broke out in chicken pox.
0: Oh. I couldn't believe it, I was
1: like, it was like a little dot on my, you know, I was like, gosh, this is an itchy bump. What is this? And then I started to see them come out all over the place. and. I knew that I was not immune to chicken pox. This is before we had a vaccine. Yeah. And uh, I had gotten off I'd gotten this kind of extra vacation a couple of times because if I was exposed and I hadn't been immune, then they didn't want me around in case I broke out chicken pox. But sure enough I was I had had contact in, in Virginia and then traveled to Belize and in one week. Ugh. A week later I broke out in chicken pox. And I was miserable for, oh, God, it was horrible. I was, like, the only thing I had for itching was liquid Benadryl. I was, like, drinking bottles of <laughs> liquid Benadryl and asking, like, kids from the from the town to go across the border to Gua- to Guatemala because the pharmacies had more drugs there. <laughs> get me, go over there, give me some antibiotics, bring them back here because I was all in. Oh, gosh, it was a mess. Oh, no. But I, I remember... <laughs> I remember calling my chief resident back in Richmond and saying, you know, I had chicken pox. I got cheated out of a week of my elective. I want to extend it another week so that I can really take it all in. And he did, he said, yeah, you could do that. So that was amazing. That was like, I was turned on to international health. It wasn't called global health at the time. It was called international health. And then from then on, I've always sought out Experiences and opportunities to go abroad and and experience that cross cultural interaction with healthcare.
0: Yeah, I mean, just there's something about travel that can teach you so much in sh- such a short amount of time. Um, and I know we've touched on this in previous podcasts, but just even here in America, like th- there's just no amount of like training or opportunities to really get you proficient in. How other languages, cultures, and people perceive healthcare, perceive Westernized medicine, and you know how to best like approach those other cultures. Um, so I feel like you know the only way to really learn is to like kind of dive in the way you did. You have to just immerse yourself in it and truly experience it. Um, but I think that it can—it's a huge issue in our healthcare system here. Um, I mean, I live out in Arizona and in the populations that we have out here between like large Native American populations and also just large populations of people whose English isn't their first language and, <clears throat> you know, a lot of um, populations from Mexico and those cultures and the religious and spiritual beliefs. I mean, it is a constant Uh, challenge in healthcare to provide them the same quality of care that you would a person that speaks your language, you know? And trying to, like, bridge those gaps, and I mean, it's just incredibly daunting. And, um, but yet so rewarding. I mean, I feel like I'd learn way more than what I'm teaching them when I work with other cultures or populations. It's just incredible. So, I can't even imagine um, being immersed in that, um, you know, and and getting that full cultural experience.
1: Yeah, it's like, I mean, for me, whenever I have, especially when I uh, like I live, my wife and I lived in um, Uganda for two years and it was at the height of the HIV epidemic there. Uh, where there were no antiretroviral medications to treat HIV. And yet I was working in a clinic trying to, uh, we're doing research on coming up with medications, drugs to prevent transmission from pregnant women to their babies uh, for HIV. And I mean, experiences like that for two years and then four years in Bolivia with my kids, just getting to they grew up there they were three and five years old when we went and uh we were there for four years so they i mean their childhood the the formative years that they can remember in the beginning their earliest memories were totally immersed in that culture and so for me it's this strange combination of this hyper vigilance of stress and excitement Mm-hmm. You're constantly aware. You're looking around. Everything's strange. So you have to be aware of what's going on. And you have to focus and concentrate on the language and know what's going on. But it's also this just real excitement of getting to know people. But you have to be able to to really be compassionate toward yourself and be easy on yourself and realize you just got to, like, check out sometimes and just, you know, go to your wherever you are your hut your room your whatever and just kind of like veg yeah uh, and then the other thing it's like two things i think is curiosity and humility if you approach things with curiosity and humility then i really feel like you can't go wrong and when you do go wrong which you will kind of trip over yourself and my god i got stories about that that are just news but <laughs> when you do screw up and you're You know, you trip all over yourself. That's where the humility kind of comes in. And you go, oh, gosh, you know, I I have no idea. I screwed up. You know, please help me out if you're willing and and so that I don't do this again and I can learn more about this from my mistakes.
0: Yes. And those are the points that stick with you, right? It's like those are the the moments where you learn because (laughs) your pride is hurt and it sticks with you so much longer where you're like okay that was a tough lesson lesson to learn that way but i've learned it and it sticks
1: uh, i got a story from bolivia so we were we moved to bolivia as a family and we joined a group that was called uh, their uh, mary knoll uh Missioners. it's a catholic volunteer organization that you join you can join as a single person a family or whatever and we mostly it's teaching community development healthcare and we went as a family and we moved in this small town and I started working for this uh, organization and the organization had a clinic, it had uh, a school, like a co-op school, it had a health care, pro- um, uh, what do they call Community health worker training program. Wow. It had teaching, it had all kinds. It had, oh, it had a center for uh, child sexual abuse uh, treatment it had all kinds of things and, uh, and it was great because we, we as a family were able to participate in all these programs. And it was in this little town, dirt roads, you know, really rural. Um, so we had spent so much time, I spent like six months in language school and finding a place to live and all of this stuff, trying to get ready. And our kids were getting ready to go to the school. I was getting ready to work in the clinic and I just started in the clinic. And I noticed that the area around the school, the grass was just overgrown, it was all over the place. And I knew that this, the school grounds is kind of like a rural school with little buildings and you know gardens and things. And I thought, oh my God, I saw this guy walk down the street with a weed whacker, like a gas powered <laughs> weed whacker. And he was like, he was walking down the street and he kind of came up to our house uh, which was behind the school, and he said, uh, you know, in Spanish, he said, you know, do, you, do you want me to, to cut your lawn with my weed whacker? And I was like, Oh my gosh, no, but would you go and cut the lawn of the school in the back? <laughs> because this is how I'm going to get in the good graces of, yes. of the people in the school, and people, you know, this is the way I'm going to win them over so that when my kids start school and I start in the clinic, then I'll have this instant in. So I said, I will, you know, how much would it cost to cut this? You know, he said, Oh, you know, this many, you know, you know uh, Bolivianos. And I was like, All right, fine, great. I didn't know. You know I was, so I thought, OK, you go ahead and do it. So he did it. It was over a weekend. And the Monday morning was when the first day of school and the grass was all cut and trimmed. And, and the, the administrator of the organization called me in. And she was so nice to me. She was my cultural ambassador. It started that day in that moment. <laughs> she called me and she said, she "said Jose, I, how are you, Marinella? Thank you so much." Like she said, um, "Did you hire Mario to uh, to, to weed whack the, uh, the the grass?" I said, and I like felt oh, very proud. I was like <laughs> yeah, it was me. It was me. And she said, oh, well, you know, first of all, thank you so much for that gesture. Appreciate it. A couple of things, though. Um, You realize that uh, Mario has several times ripped us off uh, and charged us way too much for the work that he does. And what he charged you was about three times what would normally be paid for something (laughs) like that. And so I was immediately like, oh, my God, I got ripped off. What a lesson. Yeah. She said, but probably more importantly, this is a co-op school. You know, the parents, in order for them to contribute to the education and all of the services, because we give the kids three meals a day and they stay there all day while, while their parents go work in the market, um, then they pay us back by doing work around the school I said oh oh that sounds cool yeah that's cool so we have this uh these weekends we have co-op work done where all the parents show up community building and it's like wow that's great she says our first activity of the year is usually where we all come together to cut the grass (laughs) and I just sunk so she said so I really appreciate it but you first of all got ripped off and encouraged this guy and second of all we got to come up with a new community activity for our first weekend because we have no grass to cut (laughs) like oh god she's like thank
0: you but no thank you (laughs)
1: i'm telling you from that moment on from that moment on every time i got into this there's this word in spanish called choque choque and it kind of means like this where you uh like you run up against something and you kind of uh you can't get beyond like a brick wall that you run up against and you can't figure out how to get around it or whatever and and uh and so whenever i got into these choke caves, i would come directly to her and say this is what happened please help me out here i'm confused and she always was able to very kindly explain the whole thing and how i had screwed up
0: Oh, well intentioned. That's the yeah, thing though. You course. know, it's always well intentioned, but you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. Um so that was in Bolivia. So you've done the Belize, the Bolivia, um, Uganda. And have you always gone, like you, this Bolivia story you said, was through like an organization? Um, yeah. Is that primarily how you've found these opportunities? Is just done research on organizations that kind of already have a setup in these countries and then kind of go from there?
1: I would say, yeah, I would say it's mostly things that I happen to run into by accident. But it started out, I would say, with many of them are friends of mine that are involved in organizations and in conversation they find out that I'm interested in global health and uh, and so they tell me about these opportunities and I, I mean the first time it was a huge risk to me inside. so I was yeah. kind of like I'm gonna jump over the cliff because I'd never done this before but once you do it once you kind of get over that fear a bit now it's different when you take two little kids for four years. Yes, that's a bit more of a, a jump <laughs> going with yourself with a backpack. But I think having done that and making that commitment and seeing how that turned out for our kids, as well as us, I think that I'm ready to go anytime. I mean, if somebody mentioned something, I'm like, Tell me more about it. Exactly.
0: You're like, where do I sign up?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's got, it has to do with a little bit of searching in the beginning, especially the Uganda job was definitely a lot of searching. But again, a friend saying, you know, my wife, Becky is a clinical psychologist and she studied in Kenya in college. Mm -hmm. And so she really wanted to live in East Africa. And after we got married, She said, I'll make you a deal. She's always making deals. She (laughs) said, she said, um, she says, after we get married, before we have kids, we'll live in East Africa. And then after we have kids, we'll live in Latin America. And I was like, oh, okay, sounds good to me. (laughs) So so we a friend of mine said, you know, you said that you were looking in East Africa and I know of this project in Uganda in Kampala where they're uh, it's a research clinic investigating uh, medications to use to prevent HIV transmission from uh, mothers to infants and it's doesn't pay a lot of money but it does pay your expenses of so like sign me up this is what we're looking for yeah so that was from a friend so a lot of it is is just me being on, you know, having my antenna up as well as uh people mentioning that they're in global health.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's just a need across the board for any sort of healthcare professional if they're interested, it's just kinda trying to find the right fit. Um and being at a point in your life where you can take that dive out of your comfort zone and just go for it. So that's fascinating. Um so where do we go from that Bolivia story?
1: Well, um, you know, there's a lot of story that I have about living overseas and being overseas and kind of tripping all over myself. But I think um, some of the things kind of that have to do with this, that of what I'm doing now that really, like I say, you uh, know, it took me. I was in my mid-50s to kind of figure out what it is, who I am and what I really enjoy doing. But um, I think I was always trying to make who I was fit into something that was acceptable to a lot of people in my life who were important Mm -hmm. to me. And that's really, I think, that's really where I think I was trying to always make what I did kind of who I was morph into what I did, but oh gosh, I'll tell you, and it was, I was always confused when it didn't seem to work out because I, I really listened. I was a young, youngest of seven kids, big family, and uh, so I had this combination of wanting to uh, learn from all of my older siblings and do all the things that they did well myself and try to forget and eliminate all the things that they screwed up in. And I wanted to do something different than them so that, because it was a big competitive family. (laughs) So I went into healthcare because nobody else was in healthcare. And uh, all of my brothers, at least, usually would faint at the sight of blood or needles. I mean, literally, (laughs) on the ground, out, cold. So I said, I'm gonna just pursue healthcare because that's something that I can do well. I really want to help folks, and I do well in math and science, so I'll do healthcare. So I became a doctor, and it it kind of made sense um, because what I really loved doing was uh, counseling, coaching, tutoring, working with kids, uh, those types of things. Um, but you know, my parents were really driven to try to get us all through college and get us degrees that could make money. So I said, I'll be an engineer. I'll study that. But I don't think I really knew what engineering was, but I knew that I could take it and and do biomedical engineering and be pre-med and get into medical school. So that's what I did. I I went that route Mm -hmm. and, um, and then went to medical school because when I said to people I really think I like counseling I like teaching, I like coaching I like all these other things and what what I was told by people well meaning was that I could do all of those things as a physician and I mean for the most part I have done many of those things as a physician but it was all of the kind of like medicine for medicine's sake that I never really clicked with
0: yeah. they had to have this like bigger, bigger purpose or, and I think you can find a lot of different takes on being in healthcare, whether it's change of setting or like you said, teaching, there's so many like mentorship type programs. Um, If you want to be more of that, like coaching, teaching side, which, There's just as many people that are like, absolutely not. Like, I just want to be good at my one thing and not have to worry about anyone else. But I think there's a lot of opportunities out there if that's kind of what fuels your soul, you know. But oftentimes you have to find those on your own. It's not like, or have mentors that do that. It's not like it's really um, the most common path.
1: Yes, yes. And and the whole, I don't know, with other... I know in for physicians, the whole medical training program, all medical training process is all about living up to the expectations of other people.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that's the way you succeed. That's the way you advance is by morphing into the people who are in charge of giving you your grade, because that grade you get determines whether you get the right residency you want whether you move ahead in the right field. And so we become, I think we come into medical school often as people pleasers because that's Mm -hmm. often how we get in. And then we succeed by being people pleasers. And that's one thing for me, I'm really good at. I, I, because I, I, one of the things that I, I do impersonations and I can, I can look at people and study people and in medical school, I used to it was a group of us that the way that we survived medical school uh, was that we would do different diversions, like we would put on shows for our class, we would put on like variety shows, and most of them were like satires of making fun of our teachers and our, you know, attending physicians and everybody else. But I was an expert at watching what my supervisor was doing and trying to make sure that I looked like my supervisor. I acted like my supervisor and I did the kind of medicine that my supervisor wanted me to do because that was the way that I advanced.
0: Yeah, it's like a series of check boxes. You just do this to get to the next step and then you check those boxes to get to the next step and then you get to the final, final part of it and you're like, do I even like doing this? Is this even, you know? Because it's just laid out in this perfect kind of roadmap of every little step. You work really hard in high school to get to a good college. You work really hard in undergrad to get to med school. You work really hard in med school to, I mean, it's laid out and then you get to the end of it and you're like, is this where I'm even supposed to be? But then that you feel so invested, you're like, I guess I got to just go with it.
1: Exactly, exactly. Mm. And And this is where... Right now, the people, clients that I work with, find themselves in mid-career in some specialty, and they like, they're lost and they're stuck and they feel burned out and stuff. Like, how did I get here? It's Like, I got on a train in pre-med, and you know, they, I just got off the train and I'm looking around. How did I get here? Yeah. So, uh, I really think, and I just wish our medical education was a little bit attuned to really <laughs> instilling a little bit more self-reflection and self-awareness work early on and having attendings that really were invested in students and trainees becoming the type of physician that they were meant to be, not the kind that I as an attending was want them to be or think they should be.
0: Right, like and these little clones.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... How many attending physicians do you have who come up to you in clinic and say, um, and and say, you know, when we do this rotation, uh, I know that you're going to become a kind of doctor that's completely different from me. You're going to, you're going to practice medicine differently. You're going to, uh, have a different style. You'd be in a different area. Who knows? Yeah and i can teach you some of the skills and the in the facts but i want you to become the doctor that you're supposed to become and i want to encourage you to be that and i'll do everything i can to support you in getting there i mean that's the kind of attending that will produce a self-aware self-reflective doctor
0: yes and someone that's like genuinely happy in what they're doing um, that's not just shoved into that box of kind of where they ended up. Um, Absolutely. It's so interesting because um, back in a previous episode, I had have a conversation with a brand new grad physician assistant. And she was saying that when she started PA school, her professors basically said, oh yeah, like, we already have all of you guys pegged into where we think you'll end up. And she said that that gave her so much anxiety that she was like, well, like, what if I pick the wrong thing? Like, I wish that they would just tell me, like, what thing that, you know, they think I'm (laughs) supposed to end up at. And it's like, oh, man, how true is that, though, where, I mean, just the weight of those words coming from professors or mentors or, you know, colleagues that think you're supposed to be, you know, here. And you worry, what if I don't pick the right thing? It's like, there is no right or wrong thing. It's your life. Where are you going to be happiest? What are you, like, doing? But that just really circles back to your whole, like, mentality of, like, people pleasers. Like, you just, you forget that you have choices.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I, I know for myself, I can't speak for everybody, but I know for myself that I was going through all of medical school residency. Always searching for that role model who I could say, I want to be like that person. So that I knew what direction to head into. Because I came in to medical school thinking, I love kids. I like working with kids. So I must want to be a pediatrician. But then what else? What if I don't like pediatrics? Well, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Because I think it's either going to be pediatrics or quit and become a teacher. And -hmm. so I had some ideas of maybe some other things, but so I really was desperately trying to find a pediatrician who was an attending a senior resident or somebody who I could say, Ooh, I want to be like that person. Yes. So, you know, finally I did, you know, I, and it was, I was a medical student, third year medical student. And it was this woman who was a resident and she was a renegade she was doing what she wanted to do and she was she got a job in the community and started working in the city and she brought me out and had me work in her clinic she brought me into schools to help her teach health education and i was like fired up and i if i think she probably had the most influence on me finding out who i was in medicine
0: Yeah. And you just think about what if you wouldn't have found her, you know, how different your life could have looked. Cause I think about that too is, you know, mentors can make or break you. We've heard a lot of those stories with new grads, you know, talking about their clinical rotations and their experiences before being out on their own. And it's just, you hear the good, the bad, the ugly, but it can really make or break you because there's so much that you're already unsure about and you're you're faced with making these huge decisions that of kind of what you're going to do and you're putting all your eggs in that one basket and just hoping it pans out. So I mean that's just <laughs> it's, it's heavy stuff.
1: It's heavy stuff and it you know it doesn't have to be. I I'll, you know I one story I have like when I came back it's kind of a short one but when I came back from Bolivia. I, I had been spent four years in Bolivia working in this little rural clinic, treating you know amoebas and giardia and uh, all these diseases that you know I don't see. I, what, oh gosh, you know all of these different strange diseases. And so I come here, and, oh Chagas disease. Yeah, how much time do I see Chagas disease? You know so I come back and I got this job and I'm an attending in a clinic with medical students and residents. And i have been away from medicine for four years. I come back and and the thing that has advanced so much is in the technology of cellular biology and molecular genetics and all these things. I mean, I don't know. We had a couple of classes in genetics when I was in medical school. They didn't know much more than that. So, I come in and I see a patient, I walk in and this parent says to me, um, well, uh, we did go to see the genetics uh, in the genetics clinic, and we're still waiting on the results of the microarray study. Uh, But otherwise uh, things are going pretty well. And uh, the geneticist said that they want to see me back and you know, uh, see our child back in, in a few months. And I said, oh, okay, and just kind of sat there and took it all in, having no idea what this parent just told me. <laughs> and as an attending, you know, old, mid-50s, and I go back into the workroom, and there's a medical student there, third-year medical student, and he's standing very sheepishly kind of in the corner trying to sink into the wall and disappear. <laughs> and I sit down at the computer, and I look up at him, and I call him over, and I say, sit down for, here for a second. And I, sa- I look at him, and I said, can you tell me what a microarray is? And I look at his face, and I could just see his face turn white. <laughs> like he was thinking that I'm trying to pimp him, trying to, like, Like a test. You know, yeah. And I look at him, and I look, and I see his face, and I said, no, wait a second. Let me explain something to you. <laughs> I just spent the last four years in Bolivia. When I left, I didn't know anything about genetics other than X, Y's and A's and B's and you know, dominant and recessive. So I know no idea what a microarray is. I'm asking you because you're in medical school and you probably know more about this than anybody else in this room. Yeah. So please teach me what a microarray is. And he got so excited. And he pulled out a piece of paper and a pen, and he started to kind of like draw and explain to me. And I sat there and listened to him, and I said, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, because now I can go back in that room and look like I have some idea of what this parent is talking about. <laughs> and I mean, we need more attendings to do that. Yes. trainees, you know?
0: Absolutely. And quit
1: pretending like they know everything.
0: Yes, and there's, we're so fortunate. There's just so much at our fingertips nowadays to be able to stay current and learn and research and whatever, but so many people still choose not to, you know? And yeah. I think that's just the, the pride factor again is I have been doing this for X amount of years, which means I already know enough and that's just where I'm going to be. And yeah. that's not doing anyone any favors. <laughs> Not at all. So, oh, man. But I can just, I mean, that's just, (laughs) he's sitting here thinking, oh, God, like, I'm being quizzed. I'm being put on the spot. Like, I don't, I'm so uncomfortable. And you're like, no, seriously, I just, I know absolutely nothing. So anything that you know is helpful. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'll tell you about chagas disease if you tell me what a microarray is.
0: <laughs> you're like, I've been operating under very different standards in Bolivia for the last four years, yeah, so exactly. <laughs> catch me up here quick. Please. <laughs> so one question I like to ask, and for you, I feel like you've tapped into a little bit, you know, telling us just about kind of where you're at now. Um But thinking over the course of your career and the opportunities you've had, if you didn't go into medicine or specifically pediatrics, what other career or kind of path could you have seen yourself taking and have been really happy?
1: Oh, that's easy. Well, well, I guess it's not that easy. I guess if I couldn't be an NBA basketball player, that would be (laughs) number one. Okay. Okay. NBA basketball player. And now the ncaa tournament's going on i i love basketball so i would say you know
0: dream number uh, one that would be dream it.
1: number one I, I would be NBA basketball player uh but i would say and i know this because when i was in medical school one of my best friends was across town and he was teaching in high school and he was teaching and he was coaching and i would be a teacher, either in middle school or high school. I'd be teaching science or math. I'd be coaching, uh, you'd probably baseball or basketball. And um, yeah, I would be coaching, counseling, and teaching uh, with young kids, middle school or high school kids, and loving them. I, yeah. I was my daughter's middle school basketball coach. I love coaching middle school basketball for uh, girls in middle school basketball. I love that age and girls because they're kind of like in between really wanting to like be out there and be, you know, on the court and work together as a team and uh, and also just kind of like going, you know, let's get this in perspective. We're just out here having fun. Yes. So I love that, that age group. So yeah, that's what I would be, no doubt.
0: Wonderful. And if you were an NBA basketball player, what team yes. would you want to play for?
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> all right. So I grew up as a Washington Bullets fan. They're now called the Wizards uh, because, you know, people don't want to call themselves Bullets uh, with everything <laughs> going on. So um, I would probably. Yeah, gosh, I hate to say I'll, I'd have to say now because I live in Seattle and all my teams now are Seattle teams. So the Seattle Sonics would probably be the team which don't exist anymore, but they will in
0: the future. Okay. You heard it here first. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Um, And the next segue into kind of a quote, and sometimes these are funny and sometimes they're heartfelt, but just a quote and it can be, you know, a patient or a family member, a coworker, just something that's kind of resonated or stuck with you over your, your years of experience.
1: Um, there is, uh, oh, gosh, I have so many favorite quotes. I, there's one quote that I use for myself and it is something that <laughs> it's, it's usually when I'm kind of confused and I've kind of found myself going down the blind alley or wondering where I am or how I got in my career. And that quote is, it's none of my business what other people think of me. Hmm. And I write it on the whiteboard or whatever, if I kinda like take a little retreat, mini retreat for myself, because there is so much that I do in my life that is based on external validation of other people in my life and what they think. Started with my parents, my teachers, are you know, everybody. But just to keep that in mind that it's none of my business what other people think of me. I have to follow who I am and my heart in the direction that it takes me.
0: I love that. And it just ties so well into the mentality of so many people that find their way in healthcare, the the box checking and the people pleasing. (laughs) So it's a good reminder for for everyone. Um, we've also talked a lot just over the the episode about, you know, issues that that have popped up just in the healthcare system, in the the training and education path. Um, but what's something that stands out to you, whether it be your time in med school, um, your time abroad, what's something you felt just really unprepared for um, that you felt like you had to just kind of learn on the fly um, that might be helpful to incorporate into training or education? Um, to kind of approve upon that experience,
1: Oof. I think I've touched upon some of this already. I think one of oh, gosh, there's a list of, <laughs> of, <laughs> of. I think the overall, the overarching theme for me is this idea that. Uh, even though you're in medical school and even though you're getting trained in this kind of machine that, that puts you through these rotations and teaches you the same thing and that's kind of cookie cutter and, and have you sped out in certain specialties. Getting to know who you are through some self-reflection, through talking to other people, whatever it is, who you are, what your values are, what really uh, makes you come alive in your soul, in your core, is really important to cultivate and to understand because that's determining what direction. It gives you a compass of a direction to head into. So I think a little bit more uh, reflection, group reflection, self-reflection, uh, a little bit of practice with journaling and, and talking about your experiences in medical school and, and what they taught you. And being able to carry that into your practice is extremely important. I think the other thing is how to listen well. We, we as, as I can speak for physicians, we are never taught to listen well. In the beginning, like we do this, I remember way back in, you know, you know, 50 years ago, or whatever, when I started medical school, it was kind of, you, we had this first course where all we did was come, we didn't know any medicine. And all we were supposed to do was listen to the patient and interview the patient. And then that's the last time, that's when we, after that, we stopped listening. <laughs> <laughs> because what we're really, what we're really rewarded for is the getting through the visit, trying to get through things and to get out through the other end. Being able to listen and attune to the patient, truly listen and put yourself in the place of the patient is something that I think is a practice that is extremely important to cultivate in medical school. And I would say, gosh, I have a whole list, but I would say another thing that comes to mind is this idea of as a physician especially, our identity becomes a physician. Who we are, our our whole identity is a doctor. You're a doctor. Mm -hmm. So when you're home with your friends, when you're having fun, you're on vacation or whatever, you're a doctor, that's what you are. And that's BS, I mean I don't believe that. I believe that that is one thing that you do in life. And there are a lot of other roles that you have in life that you use your values, your strengths, and your interests in that don't have anything to do with being a doctor. So I think that that is really important to cultivate that idea of work life balance and that your identity is not all tied up into being a doctor.
0: Yeah. Wow. I love that because I think there is just such a strong identity and connection more than probably any other career, right? So if you talk to people that are electricians or teachers or, you know, really any career, yes, that's what they do for work and they might really be passionate and enjoy it and they might be the best in their trade, but it's, but they can separate it and... No matter where they go or what they do, you know, that's one little piece of them. It's not their entire identity. And for some reason, um, in in healthcare, it's, it's very different. So I think that's such a good point to make. Um, it's okay to disconnect and, and have that just be a part of you and not have it be everything you eat, sleep, and breathe.
1: And I would say that one thing the pandemic has taught us with the degree of burnout and now depression and other mental illness amongst healthcare professionals is that it's essential to learn how to do that. Yeah. Because you won't survive if you don't.
0: Yeah. Ugh, good stuff. So thank you so much for taking time to. Come on and share your stories and your experiences. I do want to give a shout out to your website um, so that mm-hmm. people know how to find you. So it's JoeShermanMD.com. Um again, there's information on retreats, there's blogs, um, information about your your coaching and mentorship. Um so If people want to find you or reach out or you know get a little bit more information want to make sure they know where to do that but i just really appreciate you um coming on and taking the time to to share with us today
1: thank you so much i really appreciate the invitation and uh and enjoy chatting
0: it has been a blast hearing from this week's guest but i know there are more wild stories to be heard Share your crazy moments at info at speechlesspod.com. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you like to listen. And I'll be back next week with another guest who will be sure to leave you speechless.